Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. If you've been around City for the past two years, you would know that In 2022, we took the entire year and looked at one thing, and that's the kingdom of God. This year, we're taking a look at one other thing, and that is how do you live in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to understand the kingdom? And now we're pressing into what does it look like to live in the kingdom? This morning's message is going to be entitled Kingdom Wisdom, the Parable of the Rich Man in Lazarus. For those of you who are maybe newer to city, We're in the process now. We're almost midway through a six-week series where people have opened their dorm rooms, their apartments, and their homes, and they've invited people to come into what's called table groups. And at these table groups, we've been holding a dialogue around the topic of what is the good life. And in order to understand what Jesus would have to say to the good life and have people discussing things from Scripture, we've taken a look at six select parables that Jesus taught that inform us and move us toward what is truly the good life. Now, as part of being people who are in the kingdom of God, there is a prayer that Jesus teaches in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount called the Lord's Prayer. If you're from a high church background, you would know it as the Our Father. But every single Sunday, we pray this out loud together. This is not just an example of how to pray. It's actually the prayer of the kingdom. So we're going to pray it out loud together, and then we will all greet each other and then take a seat. So let's pray out loud. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, turn, give your neighbor a high five, fist bump, hug, or a handshake if you would like. Go ahead and take a moment to greet each other. All right, you may be seated. Go ahead and take a seat. So now, if you've been around City, you know as we've been in the middle of this uh, Kingdom Wisdom series based on parables, that parables are a literary tool that are used in the Newer Testament, and they are utilized by Jesus to teach things that you absolutely don't want to miss if you're a person in the kingdom or checking out the kingdom of God. And so how we have framed it, and this is actually true, In the Newer Testament, Jesus uses different modalities to teach, but the primary modality Jesus teaches when he's going to teach something on the kingdom is what's called a parable. And a parable is a truth that is buried in a story that is culturally relevant to the truth that's being taught. And in the time of Jesus, and any Jewish rabbi will tell you this, that in the time of Jesus, 
and even current rabbis, if you ask a rabbi a question, he's either going to, or she will ask you a question back or begin to tell you a story. And in the West, that's phenomenally annoying. We don't want a story. I want you to give me a data dump. What are the three things you need to know? But any educator knows that's not how you learn. You learn when you're presented with a problem and you invest the work and the striving of the mind to figure it out. And that's what parables are. So I promise you, whenever Jesus taught a parable, the disciples would huddle in and listen because the deepest truths are taught through parables at the time of Jesus and in the Newer Testament. And so we now are going to take a look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, as we always say, context is mission critical. The Bible, and especially the Newer Testament, is not a random series of stories. They all are intricately knit together, and about 90% of them reach back to the Older Testament from which Jesus is actually teaching a kingdom truth. So what we're looking at now is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, before we get there, context matters. Why in the world does Jesus teach this parable? Well, the Bible tells us, and here's the context. What happens just prior to Jesus teaching this parable is the following. It's found in Luke 16, 14 through 17. Here we go. The Pharisees, who are they? There's five types of Judaism primarily at the time of Jesus. And the Pharisees are the leaders of one of those five groups. The Pharisees, and what does it say next about them? What's the descriptor? Who love money. So Jesus actually had just been talking about money and how you cannot serve God and money. And so as we read on, it says, the Pharisees who love money heard all of this, and what were they doing at Jesus? Sneering at him. Turn to your neighbor and sneer. But we are going to come to back to that in just a moment. And he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. That is a really powerful proposition. You can fool people, but you can't fool God. Reading on it says, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In other words, if you're living in the kingdom of the world, what you are pursuing and gunning for, God says, no, 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 no. Not the good life. Reading on. The law and the prophets were complained or proclaimed until John the Baptist. I put John the Baptist in there just to frame it. And just so you know, the law is the first five books of the Older Testament, and the prophets are approximately 80% of the rest of the Older Testament. And so what Jesus says is, the first five books of the Bible and, and the prophets have been speaking towards this until John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist is the last of the Older Testament prophets. Picking it on and reading, and it says, since that time, since the giving of the law of Moses until John the Baptist, here's what it says. Since that time, the good news, which is euangelion in Greek, should be translated gospel. So it should read, the gospel of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Now, very quickly, in every message, we like to learn something. 
So we're going to learn a Greek word real quick, and it's the Greek word for sneering. I know you would be staying awake at night unless I taught you this. So you're going to say it out loud. It's ek muk terizo. Ready? Ek muk terizo. Ek is exit. That's where we get the English word. It means out of. So exit is where we get the English word from the Greek word ek. And then muktedzo means what? To blow your nose. So just picture this. Jesus finishes a parable about loving God instead of money, and they literally blow their noses at him. Now, most likely what they did was they sniffed in whatever was collected, they spit at him. That's literally what it means. And so that's the setting for which Jesus tells this parable to them. Very important. All right, now, let's pick up our parable. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, remember, the descriptor of the Pharisees are that they love money. Now, here we go. There was a rich man, so Jesus, right after they're spitting at him, Jesus says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's stable. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Just so you know, just culturally, what this means is, is much like da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, where John, the beloved disciple, is leaning his head on Jesus's chest. That's what's happening. In Greek, it's more like Abraham's bosom. So you've, what you have is you've got this beggar who is now in the afterlife with Abraham, and he's leaning his head on Abraham's chest. And the rich man sees this. Reading on, it says, So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have how many brothers? Five. Five. Let him warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Older Testament. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even when I rise from the dead. Even when someone rises from the dead. Now what we're going to do is we're going to back up into the parable. We're going to walk through it. So the first thing to note is that the name Lazarus in Hebrew is a powerful name. It means the one whom God helps. 
El is God, like El Shaddai. You probably heard that name. There's a lot of names for God, begin with El. And then Azar means, it's a verb that means to help. So this is the individual that God helps. Now let's move through the parable quickly. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury. How often? Every single day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named the one whom God helps. It's interesting. Covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table and even the dogs came and licked his sores. By the way, in the Greek, it says every day, but the verb tenses mean every, every moment, moment, moment of absolutely every day, he wore what color? Purple. And here's why. Anywhere in the Bible you see purple, it means exceptional wealth. So how does this guy dress every day? He wears what? Why do you think that is? He wants everyone to know he's rich. His identity is wrapped up in being rich, looking rich, and there's actually a little bit of humor in his description. He wears purple every day, and it says he wears purple and what else? And fine linen. By the way, that's the Greek word for underwear, just so you know. So what Jesus is saying, this dude has the best of everything, and because he can't show you, I'll tell you, he also had awesome BVDs, and he wore them every day. No, literally, that's what Jesus is saying. Not only does he have purple on, his underwear is the best you can possibly buy. Isn't that moving to know that this guy? So Jesus actually embeds a little bit of humor in his description. Now, what we find is, as we look at our story, is that the dogs have compassion, but the rich man doesn't. Now, it's interesting to note, in the ancient world and in Egypt, they actually have excavated a burial site with 3,000 dogs. And what they've discovered is there was medicinal purpose for dogs, and people would go to this spot, and dogs would lick their wounds. Doesn't that sound yummy? How many of you work in the medical field? Take a dog with you next time you go to your office and just say, lick him, Rover, lick him, Rover, and see how that goes. But the idea here is, is that the dogs have compassion, but the man dressed in purple ignores him. It's interesting. Then we pick up our reading. Then the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. You'd notice the poor guy wasn't buried. There was not even enough money to take care of his body. And in ancient Israel, what they would do is toss you over the backside of the wall of Israel if they weren't sure if you were a Jew. And if you were a Jew, they would slap you in a pine box and get rid of you quickly. In other words, this guy had no burial, and I can't even imagine what the wealth guy, wealthy guy's burial looked like. Here's what it makes me think about. When I was in campus ministry, um, I served as a chaplain at Princeton. And while I was there, there's a cemetery that's about a block from the university. And if you go there, there's a life-size statue of a man, and his last name is Tulane. And he has got a life-size statue of himself. He has his back to the university, and his epitaph, if you look it up, reads like the who's who, philanthropic, most generous guy you've ever met in your life, and he wrote it. 
just so you know. And what he did was he had a life-size statue of himself made, and he had it clear in his burial announcement that he wanted his back to face Princeton University because he offered them money, only they had to change their name to Tulane. And when Princeton told him, not going to happen, guess where he went? He went to New Orleans and did it again, and they said yes. But just to stick it to the university from the grave, he thought people would be overtly impressed by his life-size monument with his back to the university. I think that's the kind of burial that guy had, the rich dude. Everything was awesome. The poor guy, not even a burial. The angels carry him to the afterlife. Now, reading on, it says the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus leaning against his chest. So he called up to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Here's a couple of things to know. Hades in some Jewish theology, is a place where everyone goes when they die. But there's stratification in Hades. Every living person in some Jewish theology, every living person who dies goes to Hades. It's called Sheol or Gehenna, and there's levels. So if you've been a bad person, you're down where the coals are. If you're a good person, you're up near there's fresh air and it's better but everyone's waiting for the great judgment of God. So it's this afterlife holding tank, but if you were not a good Jew, you'd be at the bottom, and you'd be tormented. At the top, it was pretty good, but it's not heaven. Jesus seems to tip his hand that he sort of agrees with that theology. He kind of tips his hand a little bit. And so what we have then is, we've got this guy who's in torment, he can see to the upper level, and he sees the, the beggar leaning against Abraham. And what he does is, he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. Send Lazarus. It's the only repeated phrase in the entire parable. Shows up again later. Now, here's what the parable's trying to tell you. This guy, who has completely lived for himself, is now in torment because of it, and he's still bossing the lowly guy around. Send Lazarus. Abraham, you and I both know how this works. You're a leader, I'm a leader. Get that guy Lazarus and send him. And oh, by the way, I know his name, but I never cared for him. He doesn't say that. But notice he's still bossing Lazarus around. And God responds, Abraham responds in Luke 16, 25 through 26. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And here's a simple thing that all of us need to understand in the kingdom. He says, you received good things, and Lazarus received what kind of things? Bad things. Here's what we need to understand. If you've had a great life, you didn't earn it. It was given. And this is a lesson in the kingdom. 
Doesn't mean we don't work hard. Doesn't mean we don't apply ourselves. But in the kingdom of God, everything we have, we've received. And this is one of the basic realities of spiritual dynamic that the rich man could not comprehend. He had received it. He had received it. Now, the reality of it is, it's also clear in this parable, and this goes against the grind of some of us, but Jesus also says some people get bad things. I hate to tell you something. It's in the bad things that we're supposed to learn about life. Supposed to learn lessons. I have yet to meet a person who, in life, when they really process through even the most devastating events of life, when they process it through with God and with Jesus, they will at least come to a certain point. I'm not saying all the way across the finish line, but they will come to a point where they will acknowledge that their suffering has taught them things and made them better. It's how life works. In fact, one of my wife's most favorite phrases is, she once heard a preacher preach on this. He said, prosperous times are perilous times for people of the kingdom. And they are. So what we have now is, God, through Jesus, brings us this parable. And we discover that there were good things and bad things. And then read on. Luke 16, 26, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. That's a weird statement. And it's weird because the rich guy is down in the place of torment, and he's saying to Abraham, tell that dude to bring me water. Tell him. God says to Abraham, can't. There's a chasm. And what you would think it would only say is, and anyone who wants to come from the place of torment down there can't get up here. It's not what it says. It says anyone who wants to go from here, which is in the good lair, and wants to get to you, can they? They can't. And here's why. All astute biblical scholars are going to tell you it's because Lazarus turned to Abraham, had pity on the guy that never cared for him, and said, I'm willing to go down there to help him with his suffering. And God says, you can't do that. Now picture that. Every astute Bible scholar will tell you that Lazarus, who had nothing but bad things in life, had learned compassion and love and caring, and when he hears the rich guy that never did anything for, them, for him other than know his name, say, Abraham, send him down. Lazarus gets up and said, I'm going. And God says, you can't. You can't go down there, nor can that guy come up here. And so there's a response from the rich man. Luke 16, 27, he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have how many brothers? Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And every astute Bible scholar will also tell you this. If he has five brothers, you add him into the mix, how many is that? That's the number for evil. And if he would have accepted Lazarus into his family, how many would he have he had? The number of perfection and completion. He had an opportunity for that his whole life. 
and he never responded. So as we read on, he says, send Lazarus. He's still bossing him around. And notice that his compassion is only for his immediate family. Who does he say to go tell? Go tell my family. It's still evident that his compassion is only for those who can help him, his family. And in this parable, there's a very demonstrative challenge that you and I are called through this parable in the kingdom to love people who can do nothing for us. And our love, our generosity, and our serving goes beyond our family to others. And then in closing, our parable winds down, Luke 16, 29 through 31. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. In every sermon that's preached here, we have what's called feet to your faith. So what do I do with this? First of all, always remind yourself, we have received what we have in life. You didn't earn it. And here's the other critical thing. If you've gotten what you would call some bad things in life, trust me, there is more often than not, not a spiritual equation between you being a bad person and facing tough things. In fact, Jesus literally debunks that in the Newer Testament. If you've had good things, you didn't earn it, it was given. If you had bad things, you don't have bad things because you're a bad person. Jesus is clear, this is how life works. And if you get around a theology where someone tries to teach you that if you're living right, your life will always go well, walk away. Because it's not what the Newer Testament teaches. It isn't. Next. Following Jesus in the kingdom of God determines how I live into the life I've received, whether good or bad. The beggar had compassion for the guy that ignored him. He actually had a heart for the person that never, ever helped him, and he could hear the banquets right on the other side of the wall, and all he wanted were the scraps. He never got anything, yet he still had compassion for that guy when he suffered. Third thing is, how do I see others? Knowing their name isn't enough. He knew the guy's name, and that was it. And fourth, this life is not all there is. There is a life to come. Jesus is phenomenally comfortable talking about afterlife and guaranteeing us this life isn't all there is. Would you stand with me? As we stand together, would you take a moment to close your eyes in God's presence? The worship team is going to lead us in a worship song that talks about the Spirit of God doing a work. I would encourage us, whether you're checking out the kingdom of God or you're checking out Jesus or you've walked into the kingdom and you've followed Jesus for decades, I would encourage you to take a moment and close your eyes, but open your heart. And allow this parable to speak because it truly speaks 
of the good life, of the good life, of a life that is purpose-filled and fulfilling, a life that's a life that's filled with calling. And if you feel as though your trajectory has been more along the road that would lead to the rich man dressed in purple every day, I would encourage you to consider the path of your life and then to reconsider it and consider following Jesus.